Hey, my name is Tiffany Vaughn, and I'm on a mission to help regular people like me find their voice and then use it for lifting themselves and others up around them. I'm a small town mom to three kiddos with my hubby James, and man, have we been dealing with a lot. But isn't everyone? I lovingly call it our hard, beautiful journey, and I bet that yours is too. In season one, I tossed the bricks from my shoulders that were weighing me down. Bricks that represented shame, embarrassment, regret, loss, you name it, I was feeling it. I am now taking those bricks and building up a stronger foundation for myself and our family. I've created this safe space for me and you to open our hearts and our minds and to use our voices to help others know they are not alone in their struggles. Mental health, marriage and divorce, infertility, parenting, and some soul journey work are all topics that we discuss here. Let's be real for a minute. Life can definitely be hard, but it can also be so dang beautiful. Am I right? So pull up a cozy seat, grab your beverage of choice, and join me as I help others talk about their hard, beautiful journey. I know they will inspire you as much as they inspire me. So let's get started. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Hard Beautiful Journey. This is episode 37. Today on the podcast, I have my good friend Craig Gustafson on the show, and I'm so grateful that he's here to share his story and his message. I met Craig last year in the Made to Do This program, and he was in the mini pod group that met on a weekly basis. He's such an amazing human, and I actually can't find words to adequately describe his spirit and the love that he always shows for his friends and his family. Craig identifies as a social misfit and someone that grew up in an environment with high functioning autism, Asperger's and bipolar. He has a beautiful message and mission, and I can't wait for more people to hear about it. So without further ado, here is my interview with Craig. Hello, Craig, how are you? I'm outstanding. I'm with someone that I think the world of. Oh my gosh, you are the sweetest in the world. So in my intro, I uh, talked about Craig, who was in my pod in the Made to Do This program with Kathy Heller. And Craig was one of how many men in a group of 300 and some? Was there maybe 10 of you? I think four. Four? One one was Richard, who was on McGrawa. There wasn't many. Anyway... I was so lucky to land in a pod, in our mini pod, with Craig, Tina, and Desiree. And oh my goodness, Craig is one of the, I don't even know how to describe you, Craig. (laughs) You are a gem. You are a gem. And I am so grateful that I met you in this program because you brought so much to our group and the positivity that came out of you week after week was so inspiring to see. So it's really nice of you to say that because it, uh, it's taken me a lot of work and a lot of time to get here because the person I am now is not the person that I was when I was a younger person. And that is what we're going to get into. And that is why I'm having you on my show because it hasn't been a easy go your whole life, right? And you've had your hard, beautiful journey as well. And it's taken quite a bit for you to get where you are 
today. Is that right? It, definitely. Yeah. So where do you want to start? Well, you said you wanted to start and hear about my childhood because it's something that you and I really have never talked about. Yes. Uh, I grew up in a military family. My father was in the Navy. He was a submariner. Uh, we'll get more about that later. But because of that, we moved a lot. And my dad had new work people all the time because in the service, you change jobs every three, four years. So even when we didn't relocate households, my dad's circle of friends and the people we worked with changed. So I learned to get along with people very early, but I really didn't garner a lot of true friendships. I was kind of the person that got along with everybody and played sports and, you know, hung out with everybody, but I really didn't have a lot of close friends mm -hmm. growing up. And even for most of my adulthood, I was always just a little bit different. And no one could really answer why. I said my family history, I have family members that are bipolar. Uh, we have high-functioning autistics. We have people with, uh, with Asperger's. So I'm probably someplace on the high-functioning autism spectrum myself. But I had no idea what that meant. And when I was a child, no one really knew what to do with bipolar. Mm -hmm. And my mom is bipolar. And with my dad being gone a lot, that was hard on the family. And uh, it was just difficult. Mm -hmm. Sometimes my grandparents would have to come and stay with us uh, while my dad was gone. And all of that was cool because my grandfather was probably my best friend in life. Other than my dad after I became an adult. Mm -hmm. But when he retired from the service, we moved to New Hampshire and it was just more of the same. We moved. I made new friends. I went to new schools, all of these things. But once again, I had a couple close friends and I was friendly with a lot of people, but I've always just been kind of a social misfit. Uh, I was one of those people. How do I, how do I classify myself? Imagine, have you ever walked into class late mm -hmm. and there's already a lecture or a discussion going on and you understand the gist of it, but, but you missed the beginning. So you never really fit into the conversation. Yes. I felt like I missed school the day they gave out the book of social grace. Really? And it took me until I was 50 to figure it out and discover the science of people mm -hmm. who actually has a course called people school people school people school wow uh the lady who runs the science of people is my hero yeah her name is vanessa van edwards mm -hmm. and she recovers as a she refers to herself as a recovering awkward person yes. but she runs a human behavior research lab so intriguing oh my and goodness. it's just how we interact with people isn't something that's intuitive to all of us like me mm -hmm. but it's something like a science that if we pay attention and we study you're never going to be like albert einstein in physics but you can understand enough of it to where you can join the conversation yeah does that make sense oh yeah completely yep that's sure. really kind of where i am so 
I'm building or I built a website and I'm starting a business. The name of it is Escaping Social Awkwardness because I want to find people like myself and get them out of social bondage too. Mm-hmm. I don't have any problem communicating with you. I'm looking at you on camera right now and yeah. and we have a discussion and we're friends, mm-hmm. but I've always struggled in groups. You are preaching to the choir right now. <laughs> so yes, that is me. And that has been me my whole life as well. I have been the king of saying the right thing at exactly the wrong time <laughs> or the wrong thing at exactly the right time. And just not doing well, especially in small groups. Mm -hmm. And I can do it now and I study it, but it's still exhausting. I can only do it for a few hours and then I need to go home and recharge. Yeah. Because your, your brain is constantly formulating what you think the room needs to hear or that group needs to hear and not what you want to say necessarily. Right. Well, and I was kind of a social bully. I didn't realize that having a good conversation, especially in a small group, is kind of like playing soccer. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the the captain or the person in the middle who passes the ball to other people and gets it back and passes it to the next person and gets it back. And learning all of that and learning to have better conversations in general because I have a, a blueprint for success mattered. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at. How did this impact you in your jobs and in your career? I had an amazing military career. Like I said, my dad rode submarines. The first time I was on one, I was probably in third or fourth grade. Wow. And my dad was a senior enlisted guy on board. So when he took me down, everyone, of course, treated me nice because my dad was <laughs> the, boss. The, enlisted, the enlisted <laughs> boss. Yeah, yeah. But I was kind of hooked. Yeah. So... When I got out of high school, because I wasn't a good student, I was a smart kid, but I wasn't a good student. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was one of those kids that could get by on all my exams with A's, B's, and C's, but I didn't really see the point of doing homework if I could understand the material and do it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of... that could, <laughs> Why that waste did, time, right? That did not go over well. You know, it's it's all about understanding social constructs, right? Yeah, yeah. So when I went in the service, uh, it was partly because my friends all went to college and I really didn't have the grades or the maturity to go to college. So I joined the service and I kind of found my place. So I rode submarines or worked in submarine-related fields other than the year that the Army made me go play in the sandbox uh, for 26 years. And I loved it. Can I say something about submarines for a second? Every single time I see one, like on a movie or whatever, I honestly can't breathe. Like, I can't breathe. I can't even watch those scenes because I'm an extreme claustrophobic. And I can't imagine being (laughs) that far down in the ocean, right? And just like, how does that bother you at all? Obviously not. I grew up thinking it was normal. My dad did it. Yeah. But it didn't bother you at all, like being down that far in the ocean? No. No? Oh, my goodness. But it's one of those things or a career where if if the end comes, it comes quickly. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. Oh, my gosh. I mean, well, 
this week. You know, Indonesia just lost a submarine this weekend, right? Yeah, I saw that. That is. And I posted on Facebook that Mm -hmm. all submariners are brothers. Yeah, because you know, maybe from different from different countries and and Mm -hmm. societies, but you know what happens there, and you've lived with the thought that this could happen to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I was very, very, very good at it. Yeah. How I believe that for sure. What positions were you in on on the submarine? Like, were you in a position of authority, or how did that work? Well, I was the the senior enlisted logistics guy on my last three submarines. So basically, I was a cross between your military accounts uh, accountant and Napa Auto Parts. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I bu- I bought the stuff. I took care of all the money going in and out and what we got and what we spent and what we spent it on and did the actual inventory management and logistics planning. Okay. You know, it takes a lot of planning to go on a six-month deployment, especially if you're not going to get any logistical support while you're out there. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask next is how long were your deployments generally? So six months at a time. I did wow. a few of them. Wow. I was stationed in Italy for two years without my family. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and I did a year in the Persian Gulf. Wow. The better part of a year. Yeah. And was that during like a very dangerous time in the Persian Gulf? Well. Or is it, it always in, a dangerous time? It was in 2005. You know, it's amazing because I spent a little bit of time in Iraq. I spent most of my time in Kuwait. And my time in Iraq, you know, flying in there, you in Baghdad, you know, you have the Tigris on one side, the Euphrates on the other, and it's beautiful, but the neighbors are pretty cranky. Are they? <laughs> so I, I saw some things that we don't probably don't want to talk about in this yeah. conversation, but, no. you know, but it's interesting because when I was on submarines, the people that gravitated to me were the people who probably came from the most difficult circumstances and the people who had the hardest time adjusting. Mm-hmm. And why do you think they resonated with you because of your, uh, your upbringing and the challenges that you were facing? I think maybe because I was a little different too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that, which is really kind of saying something when you're talking about a group of men who live underwater for a living, but <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. well, it's interesting because I identified with them and I kind of, I think maybe I looked out for them because I understood their struggles. Mm-hmm. And someone that there was a discussion on Facebook, I guess, a couple of years ago now, where I had a discussion with someone that I didn't agree with politically, but we were all respectful. And one of the other guys said, you know, that's really where we liked you because you were respectful of other people and you looked out for them and you probably treated the people that you didn't like better than those of us who you did because you didn't want to be that person who was seen as playing favorites Mm -hmm. because I hated that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we went and made to do this, Kathy said, Hey, reach out to a few people and ask them, what would they come to you for? And because I am me, I sent that question out to everyone on (laughs) Facebook that I had an affiliation with. That is fantastic. But the, But the answers I got back, first of all, didn't come from the people I expected it to. Yeah. 
But the answer invariably came back that you needed to either deal with young adults and you needed to be a coach. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do is I want to bring social skills and help people fit in in social situations to people who it is not intuitive, Mm -hmm. people like me. Mm -hmm. And what age group do you think that you think needs it the most right now? Well, after watching The Social Dilemma. Yikes. (laughs) I Everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there is truth to that. But I would really like to deal with adults like myself who struggle with this for a long time. Or I would really like to spend time with young people their last year of high school in their first few years of college, because I can't imagine there would be a more socially awkward time for people, especially leaving home for college. And if you don't read people in social situations, well, it'd be really easy to be taken advantage of. Absolutely. And I have said many times to you when we've talked about this idea, like, That is the group that needs you the most. It's interesting, though, because it's very difficult to find people who want to talk to you. Exactly. and Because there just seems to be such a stigma about it. And I guess I've reached a point in my life where either I don't see it that way anymore or I just don't care. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a good point because I'm in my mid-40s and... I think back to when I was in my like late teens, early 20s, and I don't know if I would have either. So that's what you're challenged with and we're all challenged with is how do we actually get them to talk? Well, I reached out at one point during Kathy's program. She said, you know, go find people like you or people that you can identify with. So I went on on Facebook and I, and I spent time in a bunch of communities of people with Asperger's or high-functioning autism, and I tried to be helpful. And I said, hey, I'm trying to do this thing, and I'm looking for people like for beta testing. Just come come spend time with me and let me figure this out, because I'd like to build a business out of this. Mm-hmm. But it seemed that I found a lot more people who were just looking for a place where they were accepted to complain mm-hmm. than people who were actually looking solutions. Right. Yeah. And do you but, think it was the Was it the people with Asperger's and autism or was it the parents or both? Well, these were all adults that I was dealing with. And I I guess I figured out that the people that my customer and my client may not be the same person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I'm dealing with young people who struggle socially, they're probably my client, but Really, my customer is probably their parents who are looking desperately for help yeah. because they want to help their child succeed and do well socially, understanding the importance of that. Yeah. And well, not only the parents, but something that I have done is um, just reached out to my children's doctors and pediatricians and psychologists and um like if they have resources, right? So if you reach out to um, professionals and say that this is a service that you're offering and and they can somehow vet you and, you know, like your program, then they might 
recommend or refer you to some of the parents in, in their clinics or in their programs. So there's got to be a way to reach some of these kids that absolutely need guidance. That's the big thing is just guidance and empowerment, right? To actually. Well, I'm in the catch 22 that you get when you get out of college, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you have all this information and you have all these things running around in your head and people want a degree, but people want people with experience, but they don't want to pay people with experience, right? Exactly. I know. <laughs> it's it, it's kind of the same catch 22. Yeah. And, you know, after reaching out the first time and not getting a lot of response, I really kind of struggled a little bit because mm-hmm. we all have a little bit of imposter syndrome, but getting a little cricket, bit. Get, <laughs> But getting crickets really for my for my first try really didn't make it any better or any easier for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I really kind of struggled, and I struggled for the last couple months really to raise my hand and say, "Hey, I'm here. Mm-hmm. You know, come engage with me." But mm-hmm. I'm working on that. Yes, you are, and I am so excited for what you're working on. Did you want to talk a little bit about what you're working on and potentially might be working on? Well, uh, uh, I'll uh, I'll I'll let you get to that when you when you actually talk to my compatriot. Okay, I will be interviewing Gina, who has been working with Craig on a very exciting program, and I will be interviewing Gina on Friday. So you will hear more about that in next week's episode. I'm excited because I really want to find people to collaborate and find a place to be useful. Mm -hmm. Because I've come to understand that maybe the place that I thought I would be the most useful may not be where I end up. And I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. I'm completely open to all of that right now. I really just want to find my place to help other people. Mm -hmm. Because I really believe in this because my life would have been so much better had I learned these skills and learned how to read people in social situations before I was in my 50s. Mm -hmm. After I got out of the service, I struggled. In what way? Can you give me a couple of examples? Well, when you're in the service, everybody kind of wears their resume on their on their collar and on their chest, right? Mm-hmm. So you know who's who in the zoo. Yep. And you're part of a team with a specific goal. So when you get out and you go into civilian life and you're dealing with people who some of them were in the military, some of them weren't, it's a completely different society. After spending my entire adult life in a military society, the rules and the social norms are not the same after you get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely different. And, you know, just because you're right doesn't make you correct, especially if you're not very good at social norms and having a good conversational blueprint for people from a different society than you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I struggle with being heard. I struggle with being taken seriously, or I got looked at as that person who didn't fit in well with people right away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could be difficult. That's just who I was. I mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't come across well, and I didn't read social signals well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so going for like, if you were to help someone, what are some of the steps or recommendations or coaching that you would do with somebody to help them with this? Well, my material is actually based 
on the science of people. I actually took their trainer class to train their people school material. So it's about recognizing facial cues or uh, social cues and having a blueprint for a good conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, there's actually reading facial expressions and social cues, mm -hmm. you know, simple stuff. Uh, there was one there was one thing you told us in our pod, our mini pod. Do you remember that? And we were all like blown away. But talking about like the science of charisma and where it comes from. Yes. Can you go into that? It's interesting because when we meet people, especially when we meet people for the first time, but it goes on as you spend time with people, you discover that people basically are rating you on two basic traits, competence and likability. So people who are really charismatic are high in both. You know, everybody can think of the most charismatic person they know. But if you ask them to define charisma, it's kind of this thing that that takes a, a little bit to actually think about and process. But everybody knows the bubbly, super friendly person, and everybody knows that they're friendly. But because they're so friendly, sometimes they have a hard time being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows someone who is the classic thought of an engineer. <laughs> they're very competent. They're very smart. You know that they know what they're talking about, but they're not very friendly. So they're seen as, you know, unapproachable. So people who do the best socially and in office settings are people who can be high at both or are good at both. So we all have our own brand. It's just a matter of figuring out what the best brand of us is without putting other people off. You're a mom. Mm -hmm. If you have a basket full of candy and all of them are the same, except for one, which one does every child want? The one uh, that's different. The one that's different. Absolutely. Okay. So Vanessa Van Edwards has a, a story about that when she was working in a kid's camp and she had a basket full of apples and all of them were green except one. And everybody wanted the red apple. So without being disingenuous or being a pain and not nice to other people, how do we set ourselves up to be the red apple? Yeah. yeah. That's basically what I'm working on. Yeah. Is I'm trying to get people like myself who aren't naturally good socially to do well in groups. Amazing. Uh, and like I've said to you many, many times, so needed. Absolutely. Need. Now, how has this affected you in your marriage with your lovely bride? You know, God bless my wife. She really <laughs> does have the patience of Job. And she really is the nicest woman on the planet. But, you know, what we met after I was in the service. So we spent a lot of time together and a lot of time apart. So she really had to put up with me in small doses. <laughs> but after I, after I retired and I discovered this because I took a disc survey is actually how I figured out. Is that, that how you figured it out? That is how I figured it out, that mm -hmm. I understood myself and what I wanted to do very well. I didn't state my intent or do well in groups. And then the thing came to me, okay, I figured this out. Now what do I do with it? Mm -hmm. And then as, as the universe happens, when you learn to ask better questions, you get better answers. Yep. And I was actually working on training material for the company I was working for and discovered the science of people in Udemy. Mm -hmm. That is cool. I love that. So, so that's actually how I wound up with it. But 
learning to do this, I think sometimes I read her better now than she's happy with. <laughs> Before she wasn't reading, you weren't reading her well? I did not read well. I read her well. I didn't read anybody very well. Mm-hmm. But now that I pay attention, I'm very attuned to her. Mm-hmm. And like, so I know when she's not feeling well or when she's having a bad day and yeah. I'll say something to her and she's like, sometimes you, sometimes I wish that you would go back to not being very good at this, <laughs> but, <laughs> but my marriage in, in general is much better now than it used to be because I've learned to communicate better and, and meet her someplace where it was easier for us to connect. Yeah, absolutely. What about parenthood? You know, it's interesting because by the time I figured this out, I didn't have any kids at home anymore. They were but out of the house. I have since made true friendships with all of them. And uh, the, the youngest, because Teresa and I didn't meet until we were in our 40s. Uh, it's interesting because Teresa can only take the two of us together for short periods of time <laughs> because we're so much alike. Are you? <laughs> oh, yes, he he is the typical engineer. Is he's he? an electrical engineer, and and he's just insanely smart. Yeah, and insanely smart Alec, in <laughs> probably in equal measures. So, I mean, it's just it, it's really cool that uh, and she's so close with all three of them. She just, I think she was born to be a mom. Oh, that is so wonderful. So, what was the biggest lesson that you learned from being and made to do this with all of us lovely people <laughs> oh all, all three of you ladies i love all of you like family all of you are Back amazing you. humans even though all three of you are just completely different as people yeah you know it's interesting because coming from a society full of engineers and people that are very closed and for a lot of my life i was really hard hearted or came across as hard-hearted because I was in a position where, you know, when you're underwater, you may have to send your friend to go die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so you try not to get too social and too attached to people. And then after I left that type of environment, I became the world's biggest mush ball. <laughs> I, I literally now will weep at the, at the drop of a hat and people who knew me then, are, are, are a little bit surprised, but I think a lot of them, after they've been out of the service for a little while, get the same way. I know my father did. But I found something with you intuitive ladies that I really never experienced before. Mm-hmm. Something that I don't ever get with my guy friends. And just a level of understanding and caring for other people. Mm-hmm. And the way we treat people and the way you look at things. And I really struggled for a long time with imposter syndrome and mindset. If I couldn't be good at something, I really didn't want to play. And I've reached a point now where I will try anything. Mm-hmm. If I fall on my face, I fall on my face and I learn something and I get up and I try and do better next time. Yep. Which is why I'm working to collaborate with people who are doing something different to me, but what I do, what I want to do fits in with them. Yeah. Yeah. And finding a place to be helpful. I would like to make a business out of this. The business really isn't my primary motivation. Mm-hmm. Being helpful and finding a place to serve really is more important to me. Absolutely. So, because I really feel for people like me who struggle with feeling socially isolated or 
a little bit different and well, can't really put a finger on why. Well, it's because you felt that way. No, no, no. I, why, why they are struggling. Why, do, oh. why are they different? Why do they feel different? Why, why do they perceive things different? Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I was having a conversation with someone mm-hmm. and uh, this woman's son was trying to get into the service or into the police academy or something. And he's someone similar to me, but he does have Asperger's. And I said, you know, before you work so hard at that, you really should go looking at some of these companies now who work in the defense industries. People like Lockheed Martin mm-hmm. and some of these other companies and a lot of engineering companies now are actually actively looking for people with Asperger's and high-functioning autism because they perceive the world differently and they solve problems differently. Mm-hmm. And they've reached the point where they don't just want more of the same. They are actively looking for people who see the world through a different lens Mm -hmm. for a new way to solve problems. Absolutely. And I think it's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. But back when I was a kid, a lot of the the science they have now, they didn't have then. Mm -hmm. I was just considered difficult. Well, I'm, I'm seeing that. In our own lives, right, with the ADHD diagnosis and all of those, I think, have come a long way. There's still a long way to go. They've come I mean, a long way with social strategies for people now, though. Yeah, absolutely. So, And the more that we keep talking about them and keep trying to reach out to people that feel like this and who have these diagnoses, like, it's just going to just improve it even more, right? Just- I just think the better conversation you have and the better you can prepare someone to have a conversation, the better their quality of life is going to be. Mm-hmm. And the better they will fit in or get along with the people around them mm-hmm. without being frustrated. Exactly. I mean, how, how great would the world be if everyone felt seen and heard mm-hmm. or knew how to be seen and heard? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll give you an example of myself. I know it's hard to believe, Craig, but I used to be painfully shy. And when I say painfully shy, like you quite literally couldn't get one word out of me, like not one. And which is, it was interesting because my dad is a musician and an extreme extrovert. Like he is very social, never, ever had an issue from my knowledge that it was difficult for him to make conversations with anybody. My mom, on the other hand, is an introvert. And so I saw her struggle. But if I knew, I remember growing up and like when I was young and in my teens, like if I knew that there was somebody out there that I could talk to about this and how like I I couldn't even open my mouth. Like I was so terrified of attention being on me and somebody talking to me and that I would actually have to <laughs> talk back. Like it was it was debilitating, absolutely debilitating. And like I would turn 8000 shades of red if a teacher called on me, you name it. Like it was it was very hard. So, yeah, like I know that I'm not the only one who has felt like this. There are lots of people that feel like this. 
And it's a form of being a social misfit too, right? What's interesting because I don't, I don't think my parents realized the service that they did me. But when I was a child, we were very active in church. And, you know, the, the joke was if the doors were open, the Gustafsons were there. <laughs> yeah. But if someone didn't show up who was supposed to participate in the service, you know, someone who was supposed to be the reader, the greeter, the acolyte, the usher, you know, communion assistant, whatever, mm-hmm. I knew who that was going to be. And it wasn't even a question. No one really had to say it. It was just expected that I would step it up and I would do it. Mm -hmm. So I really lost my fear of public speaking or participation as a result of that, which served me well on the service. And, you know, I did Toastmasters after I got out for a while. And that's really when I did, when I said publicly that this is what I was going to do, mm. which is why when the, com- the company I was working for under a government contract lost their contract and everybody went to another company, I wasn't invited to go with them. Mm-hmm. Probably because they realized that I was going to leave California to escape the high cost of living mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and try and do this for myself. And it's been so much more difficult to start something on your own, especially when there really isn't an existing business model for it. Yeah. But because the cost of living here is low and I'm retired military, I have to budget pretty carefully and it would be nice for a little more coming in, but I haven't been worried about going hungry. So I really just want to find this thing. Mm -hmm. Well, as you were saying that, I was thinking like one thing that I think schools especially like in the junior high and high school age range could really benefit from is actual more courses or programs around public speaking so that that because that is the number one fear <laughs> that and death of yeah, actually people are, people are less afraid of drowning than they are public speaking yeah and like how much that could set them up for you know, being able to have those conversations and being able to be confident in front of people speaking. And because I know from experience that the more I talk and the more I'm forced to talk, the easier it does get. My father presented for a living. And my dad said something to me that I thought was interesting at the time. And now I believe yes. And someone asked him, aren't you afraid of giving up in front of people? He said, no, as long as you have an idea what you're talking about and you're kind of prepared, the larger the crowd, the less likely it is that someone wants to raise their hand and tell the whole world that you're full of poo. He said, <laughs> large, he, he said largely because they don't want to call attention to themselves. Well, exactly. That so, is very true. <laughs> that I, actually gives me comfort, you know, because as you know, I want to start speaking and the thought of speaking in front of lots of people yeah, that's a little nerve wracking, but now I can definitely use I have zero advice. fear. I have zero fear. Really? None. None at all. None. So None. if you had to walk out in front of a thousand people, you would just, whatever, just go out there and no sweating, nothing. Absolutely. As what? long as I, as long as I have an idea what I'm talking about and I'm prepared to go and talk, like I said, like I just said, the larger the group, the less likely someone is to stand up and call 
and say you're full of poo. Yeah. Because they, because they are more terrified than you of raising their hand and calling attention to themselves. Yeah. And I have, I, I just don't have a fear of it. You are so inspiring. Okay. I've been, I've been shot at. What are you going to do to me? <laughs> I have never been shot at. So, oh, okay. I got shot at while I was, while I was in Iraq. What? Oh yeah, my gosh, just, Greg. That's what happens when you're in Baghdad, right? Oh. Or Mosul. I spent a little bit of time in Mosul. Just, you know, like I said, that the, the area was beautiful, but the neighbors weren't real friendly. So, <laughs> no, no kidding. Oh, my just, goodness. Well, what are you going to do to me? Yeah, that's and true. Are, are you going to embarrass me? And the thing that I keep reminding myself is you're not going to die. At the end of the day, standing up on a stage in front of people talking, it's not, you're not going to die. So just do it. Just do it. Just have well, confidence. I'm one of those people that that believes when your time is up, your time is up. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't was... mean I want to go run on the freeway and play dodgeball with, with semi-trucks. <laughs> you know, that's just stupid. But yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I guess uh, a lot of people that spend a bunch of time in the service kind of feel that way. That, yeah. You know, when your number's up, your number's up. Yeah, exactly. Well, you Craig... just have a responsibility to make life good for as many people as you can. While you're here. While you're here. While you're here. I am so grateful that the divine or whoever put you in my group did it. Because like life has never been the same since I met you three. Because I don't know. I don't know what I would have done without you three. Because it was right around the time I was starting my podcast. It was. I remember. I remember you saying that you, you you recorded it and you hit post and you literally hit under your desk in the fetal position because you were so terrified of what the world was going to have to say to you. Yeah. Rocking back and forth and like, what did I just do? Oh my gosh. But before I even hit publish and even recorded that thing, you guys were the three that I talked to about it. And if I should do it and what, what it could be about. And you just encouraged me to just tell the truth. Right. And just to talk. You had a compelling story to tell and you felt an obligation to say it and mm -hmm. tell the world about it. Yeah. And I just wanted to support you. If I could find a hundred ways to collaborate with you and do this all the time, I would be here for you all the time. Oh, <laughs> are you going to try and make me cry? Is that what you're doing right now? I'm not trying. <laughs> I'm not trying, but I think that of much of, of you and Gina and some other people as human beings. Yeah. If I could make a living collaborating with all of you yeah. and being helpful to other people, yeah. I can't imagine a better thing in life to do. I know. Like just being of service to other people, doing that work with people that you absolutely love and admire. Like I haven't felt this lit up in a month. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And when you hear what these two are collaborating on, I already know the magic that Gina is working on and I know what you're working on and you two together is like fire. Fire. Right? I hope it's received well. Oh, it will be. So what are you grateful for today? I am grateful to spend time with a friend talking about something that I think matters to the world. Mm -hmm. And 
like you. I'm really just looking for a space to be of service to other people. Mm -hmm. And I would love for someone out there to listen to this and want to have a conversation with me. There will be. I can guarantee it. Because there's a lot of people that have hard, beautiful journeys, and this is part of some of theirs. And they will reach out for sure. So I can identify with... I can identify with them and aren't doing this because it's something that I believe in mm-hmm. and I want to be a service to the world. I can't wait to see what you do. I can't wait to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after the better part of a year now, it's like, you know, the, the wheels are and the cogs and everything have just been full of rocks and sand. And now someone's starting to take a hose to them and it's starting to move. Yeah. And, and I can see that. And it's beautiful. I just, I'm excited. Me too. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and what you have in the works. And I'm just excited to see where it, where it goes. So thank thank you you so much. You're an amazing human and I love you to pieces. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Craig for being here and sharing his story. I am truly, truly grateful. Please make sure and check out Craig on Facebook and his website, which are called Escaping Social Awkwardness. The links will be in the show notes. If you know anyone that could benefit from working with Craig, please ensure you reach out. I can personally say that I am a better human being for having met him. I know that he is meant to help so many people with his message. Please be sure and come back next Tuesday as I have another incredible guest lined up who will share her story. And let's just say that I was left breathless and a sobbing mess the first time that I heard it. But it also made me realize how unbelievably strong and resilient we can be. Until next time, be kind and stay well. Bye-bye.